1: You are listening to the good news with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin with the good news. Hey, it
2: is Angie Austin with the Good News. We have a wonderful Good News story for you. And we've got the Good News team here. My radio friend and PR person Eric Raymer is here. Uh, Barbara and Lupe are here. And they've been talking about Second Act BizCon that's coming up. And we've got Donna and Beatrice and producer Dave. Pretty much the regular Good News crew. We hope that, uh, that... listening to us is like being with some friends because that's what we do we come together as friends and talk about life and how we get through things and before we share the good news story which really reminds me of ARC and all the good work they do with our differently abled friends I wanted to discuss something that's been popping up in the news in the last week or so that I've taken note of because I've got kids that are in elementary and middle school about um, the number of millennials who are depressed and the number of young people who are depressed and feeling detached and i truly believe that it is closely linked to the amount of time that they spend on devices and not actually developing face to face relationships yeah right. so Absolutely. if you go at lunchtime or even like the uh, recess time and middle school has a short recess but they're on their phones and I kind of felt badly at the beginning of the year because I knew my kids didn't have friends at their new school yet. And I thought, well, the phone at least is something they can turn to if they're ostracized or they don't have a table of friends to sit with. But I also think that kids that do have friends, because when my kids lose their phone privileges and stuff, they um, are forced to talk to people that there aren't that many people to talk to.
3: That's true. I didn't have a because phone. because they're on their devices, right? You know, and I didn't have a phone in high school either. It, it, it's yeah. Oh, Go sorry. Ahead, Dave. Anyway, I was going to
4: say, you know, I think something else that kind of is linked to this, which we kind of always talk about, is kind of a you know how you, we have the choice between sitting in the victim chair or kind of standing up for ourselves, pulling ourselves up and getting through whatever. Um, it's kind of socially acceptable to have depression right now, I'm not saying this for kids, but mostly for millennials. It's kind of like part of the whole, uh, how many victim points can you collect so that you can score these social points and kind of be ahead of everybody as far as the victimhood goes. And being depressed is one of those really easy ones where anyone can claim that they're depressed because life is hard. And so I think that's kind of socially acceptable. I'm not saying that everybody else, I mean, depression is a real thing for some sure people, it is. but I think that's as socially, it's kind of this thing where it's like having anxiety and having depression are kind of like a precursor to, to adulthood. Like you have to have those things before you're an adult or whatever nowadays. Wow. And I think well, that's kind of a huge part of it. I think it's
2: socially acceptable for millennials to say and be depressed. I don't know if it's a badge of honor because Barbara, you know, uh, recently came out of the closet. <laughs> Uh, as depressed. I did. Proudly. Yeah. And and so and and I think that there's still a stigma, at least for our age, yep. you know, the over millennial group where we don't want to say we're depressed. And I told you that I suffer from SAD, seasonal affective disorder, where oh. generally I to- always tell my husband, it's like January, February. can I just go to Florida or the Cayman Islands? I'll take the kids and homeschool them for two months because when I get the lack of sunshine and it's dark a lot and I'm not planting my flowers and blah, 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 I just it's a lower time of year for me. And I'm not proud of that. And I know it's coming and I do everything. I mean, my knee right now hurts so badly because I walk five to nine miles a day because I can combat depression somewhat with physical activity, and then you've got the Christians who are like, well, if your faith was strong enough, you would be fine, you know, and then you're like, oh, thank you. That's so encouraging. Uh, But with that said, uh, I don't know if it's a badge of honor. It's certainly not a badge of honor in our age group. Yeah. You
1: know, and, you know, and, and or we're talking about, right, we've got, you know, uh, Justin Bieber, who is in yeah. today's headlines, we're talking about, and he's been for, for the last month or so, uh, really struggling, having, yes. it, having some real challenges. And, you know, here's a kid who uh, grew up, in, in my humble but accurate opinion, uh, grew up way too fast. Mm-hmm. Right? Agreed. And he's, everybody, you know, who follows, who fanboys this guy, he's their role model. And the pressure that comes with that, the and the money, and all the, yes. the you know, the, all the things that go along with celebrity, and he's reaching out to his fans, asking them to pray for him. Says he's been struggling a lot, and you know, I don't think he's glamorizing it. And God forbid, we don't want to hear that he's the next headline for suicide.
5: Amen.
1: But
2: or the SNL kid that like like yeah. literally yeah, said Dave, like, Pete, Davidson, yeah, right. Pete Davidson, right? Who's, who's now
5: dating. Kate Beckinsale, I think. Yeah, it. who was just It'd like, who
2: own. said, yeah. I'm ready to give up. But in Justin's case, yeah. Justin did turn his life around. Like, he was grew up in the church. Right. He strayed. Yeah. Yep. He got in trouble, got the tattoos. Not that All that means it. It. he was in trouble. But, you know, got in trouble with alcohol or drugs or something. Right. And then um, went back to the church, really got his faith in order, got married. And it Married was a church girl. Yeah, she's, married she's a, a church Baldwin, girl. So she's Stephen yes. Baldwin. Yep. And,
5: you know, he comes from... Christianity, you yep. know, being a Christian. Yes, yes. yeah. And so but uh, they've but, already been to to uh, counseling as a young six month uh, couple. Yeah. Think about what yeah, he deals
1: with, married, though, like yeah. Eric just said. I can't imagine. Well, no. and and you know, I guess the the point of my making this this uh, comment is to see that this is mainstream pop culture yeah. that we are dealing with. And, you know, depression, I I don't know that I've ever heard that depression would be a badge of honor either, but but I would say that— Not
2: with people our
1: age. It no, but, I, really
2: but it's kind of like young being one, divorced
4: know. is another one, too, as far as—I mean, a little bit younger than me, but it's like everyone has their second marriage nowadays. I mean, everyone in the, in the millennial age, and then it's sure. like—I'm not saying wow. it's a badge of honor, but it's like the same kind of—the effect of it is like the same reason that guy a couple weeks ago faked his own attack.
0: Because he wanted to get certain kinds of points,
4: he wanted to get certain kinds of points. He thought he was going to be able to get something socially, if not professionally, out of it, and he was willing Mm -hmm. to do this, right? It's kind of that same thing, right? Fair enough. It's almost like it's more
6: accepted. Like you were saying earlier, I think it's you're spot on. Like the stigma doesn't exist anymore. So I think for people to say I've got depression or be more outward about it, I think um, there isn't that backlash, which you know I think is is a good thing, because I think if people are hurting, they should be able to express their pain and they should be able to seek the counsel and not be judged for that. Right. Um, But by the same token, I also, um, you know, someone like, you know, we were talking earlier about just, you know, the stigma with being divorced or, or that depression at our age group is, it just carries different weight. And it's an interesting phenomenon. I think period, if you're hurting, if you are not in a good place, you should definitely rely on your loved ones or friends to kind of help you. Because I think, Whatever you're going through, other people are probably in those same shoes. But we just don't go around talking about it. Right. And I think we need and to think ourselves really dark get out of our don't own head. talk about it. Absolutely. That's where you can spiral. So many. You can fall into so many um, rabbit holes. But I think it starts with us kind of accepting where we are, and then going out and proactively asking for the help. And I
3: agree with Dave. I mean, the whole um, mental idea of depression has changed with millennials. Uh, As with a lot of things, just like if you're in a marriage and it's not working out, uh, staying is the new shame. Mm Right. for marriages it the, Staying is the new shame.
1: Whoa. Yeah. yeah, so
3: that's very different, right, from our like thinking. Orange it's the like the new
2: black a lot better. <laughs> staying is the new shame. I think giving up is the new badge of honor, like a button
1: that says, it, exactly I give up saying.
2: easily and try to find greener
1: grass every time <laughs> I have a problem. Yeah, just remember what makes grass green.
7: <laughs> I know that's right Come on Hallelujah Come on Good. Just a little because, fertilizer so. humor Well and You'd jobs say that. too Just uh-huh. moving
2: on I was helping my husband Go through resumes the other day And I'm like Are you kidding me no. Like I I held jobs In my 20s and 30s For 10 well, I mean like 10 and 11 years Even in my teens 7 years Teens in my college age Then my next job was 11 My next job was
5: 11 it's not, Now I've been 7 It's like You know Come on right? I can't even Yeah I'm thinking of how many places That I've worked as well I mean, and, and I've worked since I was 13 um, yeah. I mean think about that that wow. when you look at someone's resume and they switch
2: jobs every six way more than a year year and a half that's shocking to me yeah. and one woman I really appreciated on her resume she explained why she took the next job like it actually had like you know opportunity for career advancement and blah 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 you know and then it would show like and she didn't even move that much but I was just like impressed that she explained why Uh, The other thing that I thought was um, I wanted to read a little something from what Justin Bieber posted because I still think it takes courage because, you know, people are going to make fun of him. Like, you have everything. Why are you depressed? You've got money and you have a cute wife and you have. uh, But imagine being on tour and being depressed and you have to perform like at a a 10 plus, plus, 100 percent every night. And that takes so much out of you. And in public. And you're your entertaining people and signing aut- autographs, and everyone wants to meet you. Everyone wants a picture with you. Everyone wants a piece of you. Everyone wants something from you. Even your entourage mm-hmm. probably wants something yep. from you. Mm-hmm. And so he's been, so he posted, as Eric mentioned, about uh, needing prayers. Just wanted to keep you guys updated a little bit. This is Justin Bieber. Uh, hopefully, I'm, I'm going through uh, and this will resonate with you guys. Been struggling a lot, just feeling super disconnected and weird. I always bounce back and I'm. Not worried, just wanted to reach out and ask for you guys to pray for me. God is faithful, and your prayers really work. Thanks. The most human season I've ever been in, facing my stuff head on. And in an interview in February with Vogue, he told the magazine. Uh, that he had been battling depression since his 2017 Purpose Tour. I just got really depressed on tour. I haven't talked about this. I'm still processing so much stuff that I haven't talked about. I was lonely. I needed some time. I mean, he was discovered at 13 on YouTube. Wow. And uh, Usher. Uh, uh, well, it says here Scooter Braun, but maybe Usher then was the second, you know, yeah. uh, component in that. Uh, and it says he says, quote, Justin Bieber says, just thinking about. Um, music stresses me out. I mean, that's his life. I've been successful since I was 13. So I didn't really have a chance to find out who I was apart from what I did. Mm -hmm. I just needed some time to evaluate myself, who I am, what I wanted of life, my relationships, who I want to be, stuff that when you're so immersed in the music business and that people are making money off of you, Mm -hmm. you kind of lose sight off of. And then he admits, as you mentioned, Barbara, that he and his wife are in Couples counseling, and you know that helps keep things on track as yep. well. They're a young, successful couple. Yeah,
5: yep.
6: You know, I almost. I almost feel like it's a, it, the ideal situation would be a hybrid of our generation and that millennial state of thinking, because I feel like. You know, this whole idea of like, hey, if I if I need the help, I'm going to go out. I'm going to if I'm depressed, I'm going to say I'm depressed and I'm going to go out and seek the help. The millennial attitude. Our attitude is I'm depressed. I'm going to keep it. In, you know, I'm not going to. There's public shame with people, it. I'm right. call go public with,
2: shame. But there
6: You know, and I'm and I'm going to give up. Or you know whatever, right? It's so it's almost kind of like creating a hybrid of these two kind of thought processes that would be very beneficial for us to say, hey, how can I seek the help that I need, um, but how can I stick with it and, and work through it? So it's almost kind of like a a little bit of both in, in being aware and cognizant of there's value and there's opportunity and the strength in both sides of that millennial attitude and the, you know this this gen that we're in, um, and how can we make that work for us? Right. Because I think. We could. Yeah, absolutely. And
3: um, Jericho Girls, we do an online video um, series. That's, once your, a that's month. her ministry, Jericho yes. Girls,
2: to encourage and uplift women.
3: Right. So we just did one, and Jennifer Waddell, um, author and speaker, spoke on walls of judgment. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had so many emails um, from women saying, How do I do this when a woman took my husband and wrecked our family and, you know, did all of this? And um, so. I agree with you. We need to, I don't know that we need to change, but we need to understand each other's perspectives and we don't have to agree with them. Um, just like the grass is greener on the other side. We don't have to agree with that. But as we connect and as we try and figure out why they see things the way they do Mm -hmm. and why we see things the way we do, you know, maybe there is some morphing in, oh, okay, I kinda see that and I can learn Yeah. I can learn from you. Or
2: yeah. And I'm telling you right now, if you're caught in that how can I forgive? Because I think about a friend of ours, Barbara, that we were friends with on Facebook, and there was a lot of anger that someone had ruined the marriage, someone had I, taken the husband. Yes. If you are in that place where you feel that you are in despair right now, you were in a dark place, you are sad, you are lonely, you are depressed, and you are blaming it on an event from the past or a person from the past, I challenge you to get a notebook and a piece of paper, a pen, and then Google a little scripture on forgiveness because I'm telling yes. you. That person that wronged you is holding you hostage right now. Yes. That person that has moved on and is happy with your husband, that person that took your job, that person that conspired to get you fired, that person that was not fair to your children or did whatever they did to you, mm-hmm. Are they're still holding you hostage right now. And you've got to write about this and go over scripture, talk to your pastor, talk to a friend, because forgiveness is going to free you from that darkness that you are feeling right now because you are mad that someone wronged you and that they screwed up your life let me just insert
3: in here too one thing that Jennifer shared with us which was so profound to me um, and she just said it in a different way and she said we don't have to reach out and shake the person's hand Mm That's we right. don't have to like the person. That's we don't right. have to reconcile a they relationship. don't have to be back in your life. That's and right. we can pray and we can grumble like David did in the Psalms. You know, slay my enemies, you right. Lord. You Come know. Um, but the whole idea is God wants our hearts to be right with Him. Amen. Period. It's about our relationship with Him. And if we're holding on to bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, like you say, Angie, mm-hmm. it's shaping who we are mm-hmm. and it's it's interfering with our connection with God. So it's all to, about uh, us.
7: Um, I've got to add a scripture oh uh, please just, do you know second corinthians the 10th chapter verses four and five for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through god to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of god and bring it into captivity every thought to the obedience of christ right you know the bible talks about changing our mindset Yes. Okay. Because that's a mindset. When we decide that we're going to be bitter, anger, uh, angry, hate people, and all that stuff, that's a mindset that it we is. have. It is.
5: You know, that's that's such a good point because uh, so many of us go through that. And I know that when I was let go of a position for the first time ever in my life, after having thought that I was this amazing marketing director and to be let go from a position, um, I held on to my disdain and it almost was the h word for this person because everyone couldn't believe that this person let me go because of the work i was doing and i'll never forget that i i did hold on to truly hatred um for this person um for at least two years and it it did that when you think about the mindset and what it plays on you and then you're a person that's living with depression and you don't you don't know it even then. I didn't know it at the time. Um, it was heavy, heavy, heavy. Mm-hmm. And the minute I was able to let that go, and I don't even know when that aha moment was. Mm-hmm. You're right. You it, It's freeing yeah. to not have that. Matter of fact, I actually look back now um, and thank this person because I did take lessons with me from working underneath that person. Mm-hmm. I do. And I can imagine a lot of people probably when they do let go of it, yeah. they let it just... Let go, let God. Yes, yes. You do start thinking. Well, I did get something from that relationship, mm-hmm. or that friendship, or and that. You gotta and that. pull out the positives. You have to th- you have perspective. To pull out It is perspective. And it makes you appreciate
2: a lot of things. Like I think about one nightmare relationship where I had that that seemed like, oh, we were both weather people and we were in Los Angeles and always isn't that so cute. And, you know, we could both be weather people together. And how often does that happen? And he was a major alcoholic. And so and he's dead now. You know, Ooh. he died. This
3: isn't the rocker dude like the heavy metal dude was. No, it? he was. A, oh, <laughs> oh my God, I can't imagine <laughs> was, uh, that one doing she that. She got, that got set up he with a out out heavy metal dude. Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, he's uh, so he uh, was an alcoholic. Wow. And so uh, I just, uh, you know, thought that after that, I, I I'm, like my husband, I appreciate so much. And then I also had a lot of empathy for my mom who married an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and empathy for her and how she made some of the decisions she did because I was so blinded by the perfection of what he was presenting to me, you know, and like, you know, how wonderful he said I was and how perfect this relationship was. And then when I figured out like, oh my gosh, like he's like drinking and he's going to go on air. Like he's like drinking and we're getting ready for a live shot. Wow. Like wow. we're going on a trip and he can barely stand and I have to help oh, him in a cab, wow. you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I got wrapped up in something that I was completely blinded to. So, right. so what my lesson was the empathy for my mother, but also great appreciation of what like society might see as the boring guy yes. who doesn't drink and party or use bad language right. or have a flashy wallet or a fancy car. Mm. So my boring guy yeah. ends up now. Uh, starting his own business that went public that now has this amazing career, but that I found him when he was just a normal guy that didn't have all the flash.
5: Yeah, I like that you said the empathy part because I I, I think that's what eventually happens, at least if you have a good heart, is that you do look back and you think, okay, so something may have happened, but you also have to think about – that other person too. what are they going through yeah, and, and not what, judging what, them right 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 seeing how they could have fallen lot, for someone that was very flawed exactly and th- that's how I look at it now with even what happened with me is this per I, I this person had gone through several employees and so I think wow and sh- this person also anyway I the empathy part comes in I want to uh, say two things side, we yeah.
2: mentioned uh, BizCon just give your website because I want to uh, promote Eric's event
5: it's
6: www.secondactbizcon.com
2: for women over 40 who want to start their second act Eric if you want to get cheered up after this talk about how to overcome depression (laughs) we've got a cheer up event
1: I'm bringing in an award winning ventriloquist uh, and and a young man who does uh, some amazing things with a Rubik's Cube and then of course uh, I'm a professional illusionist and I'm going to tie it all together for one night it's uh, Saturday uh, March 23rd at 7pm at Water to Wine in Centennial you can look it up I've got an event on my Facebook page. So just go to Eric Raymer, R E A M E R, on Facebook, and uh, it's 20 bucks. Perfect. Right?
2: Beatrice has got some grief conferences coming up, and you can find her, Beatrice Bruno, on Facebook. Yes. And Donna Hetzler has a women's ministry called Jericho Girls, the website, jerichogirls.org. Love it. And you can always go to my website, angieaustenradio.com, if you have questions about. Any of the events, any of the guests, I can get you in touch with all of them. We'll be right back.
0: The good news of Jesus for you in high-definition radio and streaming at 670KLTT.com. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver.
2: and ArkDrift.org for a location near you if you just want to drop a few things off and do a little shopping. ArkDrift.org, shopping with a purpose.
0: I love
4: Having fun in the mountains is easy, year-round, with YMCA of the Rockies. Come fill your spring days and nights with our exciting programs and entertaining activities. At YMCA Estes Park Center, we love spring in the Rockies. This year, YMCA spring break activities start on March 8th. The fun never stops at the YMCA of the Rockies spring break. Get out there and enjoy some springtime hiking and activities like wildlife and ecology classes, guided hikes into Rocky Mountain National Park, or even fun and entertaining bug classes for the kids. YMCA S's Park is the ideal family vacation located in a stunning environment that helps build healthy minds, bodies, and spirits for all. At the YMCA of the Rockies, we love to provide real bonding experiences for families of all sizes. Go to ymcarockies.org. Fill your spring break with fun, exciting, and affordable family adventures. At YMCA of the Rockies, go to ymcarockies.org to book your stay today.
2: Nick and Angie here, along with Arlene Palakane. And do you have a child in your life who seems to have kind of, uh, I don't know, the inability to hear you anymore? It's not just the teenage years; they're the earbuds. And we're going to talk about tech and kids. And one of Arlene's books is "Growing Up Social." And how can you grow up social if you're connected to tech and not people? And I tell the kids, Arlene, people <laughs> are more important than technology.
8: That is the truth. Yeah. There was this recent article in the Wall Street Journal and it caught my eye because it said AirPods aren't just headphones. They're an invisibility shield. (laughs) And basically it started with this college student saying that when he puts on his earbuds, you know, that's the signal that, Hey, don't talk to me. You know, I'm doing something else. So he was like, you know, if you're not in the mood to talk to someone or maybe you're in a hurry, you just kind of give them that visual signal by putting in your AirPods. And, and he admitted, that it's a crutch because, uh, cause he said that, you know, if you don't want to do something, you just put them in, you know, <laughs> it's like, okay, I am now invisible. Please do not talk to me. You know, and how funny you, know, you have the old sign, do not disturb, you know, of years past, like I'm doing something, I'm busy, do not disturb, but you know, it's okay for a specific time, a specific place to say, you know, don't bug me, I'm doing something. But if you live your whole life regularly, especially as a teenager with this, do not disturb sign over your body, by having something in your ears, you know over time, what is that going to do to how you interact with people? What kind of culture it is? You know all those things. So, so I thought it was very interesting.
2: I, Adults I, do this, Mike. I,
0: I'm in. I'm a hundred percent in. And Arlene, I will tell you, I'm an early adopter of the earbuds. I use them. I'll be walking down the street and somebody will approach me and I'll point to my earbuds and my phone. And and they they realize, oh, you're on a call. Sorry, didn't want to do that. But sometimes you need to have boundaries. So. I I respect adopting technology to do this. I also have an app on my phone called Fake Calls. And if I see somebody walking <laughs> in the hall who wants to talk to me, I push oh. the fake call button and... Thirty seconds later, you can set it anywhere from thirty seconds to ten minutes. Thirty seconds later, your phone looks like it's ringing, and a person's name comes up. Oh my gosh! <laughs> nice. Pull the phone up, and you go. I'm sorry, I have to take this. It's the greatest app. It's called Fake Calls. So I use the I use the I uh, AirBuds. I use Fake Calls, and I, I'll tell you the one that failed me in using my Stay Away from Me kind of guarded approach to life. Mm-hmm. I know like two lines of German from a play when I was in high school <laughs> and I memorized them. So I'll be walking down the street <laughs> and like a homeless person or someone will come up to bother me uh, or ask me to save the whales or something. And they try to get in my face and I just go, the next to I can express is I have no in User, so, well, one day someone's going to speak German to you back.
8: <laughs> That's good enough.
0: It work. happened. It happened. Oh. A guy stopped started speaking back, and I go, Look, I'm sorry. It's just my defense mechanism. Oh, my goodness. I gave him a buck because he, he learned German. Wait, the link in Germany. <sighs>
2: The links that you're going to to avoid human contact, first of all, that's mind-blowing to me. Because with me, he just doesn't respond to my text or my email. Like if I ask something that I deem important that he deems unimportant, Ah. he just doesn't respond. But it's funny because I can send three texts. And if one of them he likes and he actually does want to respond to or he needs something from me or wants something from me, then he'll respond to just that one. So he selectively responds. He does the same thing with emails. And so it's interesting that you do this in person and that you have three, at least three techniques for avoiding human contact. But you're an adult, Mike. Like that's, I guess, okay. And I'm using air quotes there when I say, I guess, okay. With teenagers, it's so disrespectful, I believe.
8: Well, and I want to go back to our dear Mike because Mike is a social, talkative, likable, warm, you know, guy. He's not just like, that's why he's on the radio. Mm -hmm. So, so Mike, you don't do this. Like if you were in having like a family reunion or something, you don't put your earbuds in. Or if you were at a meeting, but the article talked about how they found it was so irritating when people would be in a meeting and people would put like their AirPods on. They'd be like, hello, we're in a meeting. That's so rude. That's so so rude. So you are doing it kind of, In your commute, like your everyday life, like you're trying to get from point A to point B, please don't bug me. Okay, you, and then how often do you use that fake call thing?
0: (laughs) Well, there are some people for whom it is a constant, it's
8: a regular. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. But not every time. And you you learn how to navigate the seas of humanity in yeah. different ways, in different situations. And uh, Angie and I are going to be appearing on a Dr. Phil episode in the near future. Uh-huh. No, Mark never takes Angie's text right away. <laughs> Why is that? I, I've been accused of crimes here. But Arlene has nailed it, Angie. What? There are times that I'm just trying to get somewhere. Uh-huh. And Stopping and answering one of the 4,000 texts or emails over the weekend. Oh, really? Derail me, especially if it's, hey, did you see this? Did you see this? Did you see this? And these are stories that I have sent to you.
2: It's not the stories I send you. It's when I have a question about the show or client question or something like that.
0: You
8: see, we've hit a tender spot here, wow. haven't we? <laughs> yeah.
0: Friday at, at, at like noon, the, the uh, cone of silence comes down. That and is. then it becomes the golf, the beach, the honeydew list. And I try not to come back to my work reality. I compartmentalize until Sunday, middle day. And that's kind of where I am at. Well, now. I, I will say, Arlene has hit on something important here, that yes. meetings and dinner time, family time, you got to set down rules. I worked at a company where we had a conference room meeting. There's a bowl in the middle of the conference room. Everybody put their cell phones in the bowl. I like and there, that, and
2: the AirPods then, of course.
0: But there was a $20 bill on the table. And at the end of the meeting, if if the minute your cell phone pinged, or rings. So if you get a text message or, or some alert, your your phone was taken out of the bowl. And the last person in the bowl got the 20 bucks. If they managed to either shut off their phone or learn that uh, they need to tell people I'm in a meeting, don't bother me for an hour.
2: Well, Arlene, yeah. I think you make a good point that Mike, you know, is social and he uses this uh, alone time or downtime or whatever to selectively, you know, shut out people. In the <laughs> article that you're um, reading uh, on The Wall Street Journal, they talk about a guy who is an app developer who uses his AirPods as a shield against awkward small talk. I also don't like weird, awkward small talk. Like I'm not the best at like parties and things like that actually. I'm better with people that I know. And um, But when it comes to someone like my nephew who's an only child who spent a ton of time by himself who wears these as you put it at the family reunion or when we get together at Christmas time and he has them on in the car and he has them on just around the house and he's not used to interacting with siblings and I know it's a lot for him to be in our family because we yell a lot and we are loud and there's lots of us and so I think it's overwhelming to him but I think it's his way of shutting out the
8: world Mm hmm. And this is what I think we need to land here and say when children are developing, when teenagers are growing up, they need to learn how to be with people, all different kinds of people, quiet people, obnoxious people, loud people, you know, all those things. That's just part of life. And it's also part of life to realize, OK, some people, you know, I don't get along with as well. How do I manage that instead of let me just shut out all these people so that I don't have to deal with this? So because what will that mean? That means that that, hey, when I grow up into a 30-year-old and a 40-year-old, I'm going to prefer the company of machines over the company of people because machines are at my beck and call where people are there, you know, kind of unpredictable. So it's just this whole idea that as a general rule, you want your kids to be able to socialize and even in, in their own way, be able to say, you know what, I need a little quiet time. I'm just going to excuse myself versus, you know, I'm just going to put these buds in my ears all the time and just live this way. So limit where your kids can wear their AirPods, where they can put on earbuds, you know, make sure that those, and even on a commute, if you are commuting with your child, you know, you're in the car together, that is a time for them not to be wearing earbuds. And that's okay for you to say, this is my car, my vehicle, everybody take out your AirPods and we're going to talk to each other. That is an okay thing to lay down because you only have 18 years for your kids and you want to be able to talk to them and not always just look at them with this accessory in their ear.
2: And teach them how to properly interact with others. We were at a carnival yeah. over the weekend. And my daughter has a brand new phone and after school, she's not to, supposed to use it. She brought it to the carnival and I'm introducing her to a new kid in her grade and a mom and she's staring at the phone and barely looking up. Super embarrassing. And I just said, phones are, are not as important as people and it's embarrassing. Yeah. You need to put your phone down and have a conversation. And I think that they're clueless that um, mm. if, if a call comes through and they're in like a setting where you should take it they think because the phone's ringing they're supposed to answer it. Mm-hmm. my mom's the same way she's like a teenager with the phone like we yes. could be in a car with we were in a car eight people in a vehicle and she's like right. oh the phone's ringing I'm like it's my brother it's like, te- like right. I can wait like call him back oh how are you and like real loud right. voice I'm like no you can call him back and you can actually yeah. not answer the call <laughs> that's so funny oh I gotta teach that mother and Mike I gotta work on both of them. <laughs> And the kids I got a lot on my plate you got a right. lot to do Angie Arlene, my friend joining us is Arlene Pellicane and she found an article that's talking about pedestrian deaths reaching the highest level in 30 years and it is said that smartphones and the prevalence of SUVs were possible reasons and Arlene I have to be honest with you I have thought that smartphones were the cause of a lot more of these accidents not just being hit by vehicles but also mm-hmm. people not watching what they're doing and, you know, running, walking into traffic or walking into, you know, a manhole cover is missing. I saw a video of a woman walk right into a manhole. So what is this article about? And again, Arlene's an author. She joins us weekly and we're specifically uh, talking about her book this time, Calm, Cool and Connected, Five Digital Habits for a More Balanced Life. And being more balanced would mean not texting and driving and running into a pedestrian.
8: Right. Looking forward when you go and when you're driving, looking around before you go into an intersection, you know, all those things. Yeah, this really caught my eye because, of course, uh, as a mother particularly, and having children that either walk to school or bike to school, or sometimes I drive them to school, and then I see it with other drivers, and I see it in myself, too. You know, that now my phone is mounted to my car so I can use it for GPS sometimes, but I find myself, you know, at a red light, oh, let's see, do I have an email? Let's see, do I have this? And using it and scrolling through it, and I know I'm not the only one, (laughs) you you know, confession time right that does this and I know I have been behind drivers you know and the light turns green and you're like okay you, you can go now <laughs> but they're looking at their phones so this is a problem I believe yeah, that's that on the rise potential right potential. that yeah. you see yeah and so this article in the Wall Street Journal was just talking about that for a while in the 90s the pedestrian deaths were, death rate was decreasing so it's like really good like hey we're making our crosswalk saves people are more aware of pedestrians this is fabulous but in the last ten years since since about 2007, that it's gone up, so it's going the wrong direction, 45%. And that pedestrian uh, deaths, uh, uh, that they make up for 16% of all the motor vehicle deaths. So, that was like, oh, no, that's that's not very good. And then one thing, though, that was kind of helpful as a parent, is they did say that nighttime deaths were much more common, that that had an increase much more than daytime. So, in that sense, that kind of made me have a little bit of a sigh of relief. The, I think the takeaway here for parents is if you have pedestrian children or pedestrian yourself, you know, you've got to teach them. I read an article that in the Netherlands they were doing this test pilot by schools of putting the, the street signals in the street so that the kids, when they walk by with their phones in their hands, then they're not looking up. Okay, we'll work with them. We'll put the signal on the street. But, you know, let's think about this. Uh, you know, uh, we could also teach our kids when you get to a moving, you know, when you see moving vehicles. In a place where you could be in an intersection, you need to look up. So, a lot of it is parents training your children. Be very aware and don't just trust because you're in a clump of people that you're fine and that you look down. You have to be aware yourself okay tell me that what was the thing about the signals
2: you said that they were doing a test on where they yeah that they
8: would put in in the street like on the floor oh so So instead of yeah so they're looking down and so they'd see on the floor of the sidewalk like a little red X or something that would say you know don't cross so instead of looking up at a street signal they're looking at the ground so that was controversial like you know some people are like oh that's brilliant because now my child will see it and then others are like no you don't need to re construct a whole system, we just need to have people look up at the actual street signal. Well, the thing about people not
2: um, at green lights, not moving, my feeling is like if you're at the top of the pack, you know, and you're rushed. at the front of the line, do not be looking at your phone because we're all going to miss the light light behind <laughs> you. But they always make it through. You know what I mean? Like they'll, they'll wait and wait and wait and somebody honks and finally, oh, and then it turns yellow and oh, they zip on through, you know, and then the whole 16 of us behind them, you know, we're stuck there waiting for another cycle of the light. And that happens all the time. I've even seen cars where, you know, the light is changed and the whole pack has moved forward and then let's say it th- it's three or four lanes like you have in california right. tons of lanes and there's one person still sitting there as all the cars whiz by them and go through the green light they're still so distracted by their phone that they're literally sitting there in the it's lane crazy. alone you know with no crazy. cars stopped around them yes. and i'm like oh dear lord and yes. then the thing about the kids and reconstructing things so that they look at the ground and see that it's a red light um i never even thought about that whole pack of people going that you don't just move ahead with the pack because right. Because, uh, especially when you go to big cities, you know New York City or when I was in Vegas not long ago, people go against in a pack they 'll go against the light, and i don't do that you know because you know I just you never know when a car is going to come along and I've taught my kids to actually uh to stay put um, when um, okay how does how do I do this okay we, we're in a um a neighborhood where the Uh, there are no sidewalks and it's very kind of ruralish. it's called like a ranch neighborhood and so the kids I've taught them to walk on the wrong side of the street and they're like well why do we do that we do that because I always tell them now this car coming along this guy's a worker he's probably looking at directions and he's trying to find a house in this neighborhood if they're looking down and they're coming for you for for you bike or scooter or you're walking you dive into the ditch And so I I tell them that like frequently every walk I'll say, all right, see this guy, how he's glancing down. If he starts heading for us, we got to get into the ditch, you know, so that you can get off the road because it's amazing how many kids and pedestrians get hit walking on the side of the road because the person Mm -hmm. is texting or looking at their phone.
8: Yeah. So, it is so true. So, teaching kids on the ground, be defensive, look around, and then teaching reminding us as drivers, you know, be more aware. Because I see it so much in our neighborhood. We are just rolling through those red lights because we're waiting, waiting, and then it's like, oh, they didn't go. It's like, I deserve to go. And then I'll see one car, you know, turn against the red light, and then I'll see another car turn left against the red light. And I'm thinking... That was solid red when you started going into that intersection. I am so glad that I didn't go, the opposing person, right? Yes. When my light turns green. So I'm showing my kids, like, see, when it's green, you still have to wait as a driver. Cause look at this bozo, he's still coming through. Oh, and I point. see that, I see that very often, at least once a day now. And so I'm realizing we're not the only distracted ones, you know, so we have to be aware and teach your kids how to be aware too as they learn how to drive. That's a good point. The only time I was ever hit, and interestingly enough, this was the precursor to
2: the distraction of the cell phone. The guy was smoking and he was lighting a cigarette oh. and so he was leaning down to put it in his lighter and he told yeah. me when he, because I had, I was uh, oh. the light had changed and so then I went on a green, he ran the red and totaled my car and he oh. admitted that he was lighting a cigarette and that he, you know, totally. In my car because he was looking down. Oh. So I have a question for you. Besides the driving, because I know you've got one in high school now, and you'll have a driver here soon and not being distracted in this Mm -hmm. this, uh, article that we're talking about, about more pedestrians being killed because people aren't paying attention and they're blaming it possibly on cell phones. And by the way, why SUVs? Because they're so high?
8: Yes, they're just so much larger. So if a pedestrian was hit by a much smaller car, you know, think tiny Fiat. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that that was much less dangerous than being hit by something very large. Well, I'd love an update from you, too, because I was just
2: talking about you and your kids this weekend, because uh, the phones in the family, the littlest one doesn't have a phone. She has an iPod touch, but she can still play games on it. Yeah, um, I definitely told the kids that I feel that that they've been an interference in our family and our Mm -hmm. life because I turn off their apps. But there's the constant, would you turn my apps on? Would you turn my apps on? Would you turn my apps on? And we really don't do the apps much after school i let them have them on the bus and at lunchtime in case they don't have a friend to sit around with at lunch a lot of kids are on their phones and if my kids since they're new in that school if they don't Mm -hmm. have anyone to talk to at lunch i want them to have something to do so i just want to update your high schooler and your other two kids and they're just slightly older than mine yeah they they don't have phones including the high schooler so
8: any pushback on the phones arlene you know Gladly, no. I have a ninth grader, a seventh grader, and a fourth grader. We just had the conversation with my ninth grader asking, you know, is this a problem sometimes that you don't have a phone? Do you wish you had one? And he said, oh, yeah, there's certainly times I wish my my friends play a game at school and I wish I could play with them. So I said, what do you do? He's like, well, I usually either talk to the one guy who doesn't have a phone in my group or I look over the shoulder of another guy, you know, who's playing the game. And then he says, you know, to, to be able to text people, you know, where are you? things like that that he wish he had one but then he also acknowledged that if he did have one he would be on it a lot and he loves to play the piano he loves to get outside you know so he said I understand why you don't give us one so you know in his mind it's a bit of a wash and I think that's what we're just trying to tell our kids that you know sometimes this is inconvenient but we believe the benefits outweigh the negatives and the rest of your life you'll have a phone in your pocket yeah, it's going to
2: make him a better communicator. I know that for sure. All right, Arlene, your website?
8: com, And if you're having trouble with that phone, you're just holding it too much, Calm, Cool, and Connected is your book. Excellent.
2: Thanks, Arlene.
8: Thanks so much, Angie.
3: Hello, my name is Donna. I worked for the ARC for six years, and I loved every second. And I love working for the ARC. My favorite thing working for the ARC is, I love everything about it. I love my managers and my co-workers and this a pleasant place and it's a place where you feel safe and loved and they treat you like a family the best deal i found at the ark is i found a brand new litter box for my cat <laughs> <laughs> call 303-238-jane 303-238-jane or visit Arcthrift.org Please do your shopping at the Arc because you're shopping with a purpose. Rejuvenation on the Rocks is a cutting-edge medical facility in Greenwood Village that will have you looking and feeling your best. Roxy O'Brien transforms lives using a non-surgical revolutionary treatment called Cool Sculpting that targets, freezes, and eliminates fat cells in the areas of your body that are resistant to diet and exercise. With this non-invasive and effective procedure, you will start to see a difference fast. And the best part is that as a good news listener, you will receive a buy three, get one free special on your Cool Sculpting package. Call Roxy at Rejuvenation on the Rocks at 720-328-9094. Or go to Rejuvenation on the Rocks. That's rejuvenationontherox.com to start your cool sculpting package. And be sure to tell Roxy that you are a Good News listener to receive your special pricing deal.
2: Hi, it's Angie. Thanks so much for listening to the Good News. If you like the Good News program and you'd like to support us, we need to partner up with businesses to keep this show going. I'd really like to keep it on the air and I need advertisers in order to do that. And I'd love to partner with you and help you build your business or your website. Maybe you're a nonprofit and you'd like to do an interview and you'd like to donate to us so that we can help you get donations as well. AngieAustinRadio.com AngieAustinRadio.com Just click on Contact Me. I would love to partner up with you. I think this is a great program. We've been on the air for about seven years now and I think a lot of people have gotten a ray of sunshine and some faith and even a little fun from this program. So, if you'd like to support us, please go to AngieAustinRadio.com. We would like to help you build your business or nonprofit as well. AngieAustinRadio.com and click on Contact. I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love to help you build your business. Welcome back to the Good News. Are you familiar with pulmonary fibrosis? Well, you will be in a few minutes. The Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation is launching AboutPF.org, that's AboutPF.org, to help educate the public on this condition, explaining symptoms and causes and treatments, and some of the causes may be more common than you think. You may be surprised. And joining us in this sponsored interview is an expert in the area, Dr. David Letterer. He is the Associate Professor of Medicine and Epidemiology at Columbia University Medical Center in New York City. Welcome, Dr. Letterer.
7: Hi Angie, thanks for having me.
2: Okay, so obviously launching this about pdf.org, you want us to know more about the conditions, symptoms, treatment, causes. So let's start with that. Let's start with what it is and how we would know if we had it or someone we love has it.
7: Pulmonary fibrosis is a progressive lung disease where scar tissue builds up in the walls of the air sacs in the lung. Over time, as the scar tissue builds up, people begin to experience breathlessness, really when walking upstairs, walking up hills, uh, as well as a bothersome dry cough that lingers and goes on for months and even years. Uh, Of course, people with this disease may be very tired and fatigued throughout the day as well you know if, if you're having those symptoms it's important to look into it people can go to our website at the pulmonary fibrosis foundation the website is about pf that's for pulmonary fibrosis about pf.org to identify whether or not you're at risk and where you can get care
2: all right so the website about pf.org now you explain these symptoms these are obviously pretty serious so How do we get something like this? Because that sounds pretty debilitating, uh, that it would be affecting all aspects of your life if you are fatigued throughout the day and this is going to be an ongoing condition. Uh, What causes this?
7: Well, you're right. It is a serious condition, and it, it, as it progresses, it can become debilitating. Sometimes we can't identify a cause despite our best efforts, but in about half of cases, we can identify a certain trigger. It might be that it runs in the family. That's not too common, but it does happen. Smoking is a risk factor, so if you smoke, go see your doctor and talk about not smoking. Uh, We also worry about exposures that people might be breathing in in the home or in the workplace. A major exposure is mold in the home or somewhere else that over time can trigger scar tissue in the lungs. In the workplace, things like asbestos and coal dust and silica dust and other types of inhaled exposures can also trigger pulmonary fibrosis. And a lot of this information is available on our aboutpf.org website where you can look at those risk factors and bring it into your doctor.
2: Wow. Okay. Well, that's uh, good information because I um, I was under the assumption that it was something that you did per se that causes it, which obviously smoking would be, but being around mold or asbestos, you might not even have any idea that you've been around that. So you may end up with something, you know, like I have a young friend who's in her twenties who just had a real bad mold episode where she got very ill. Um, I didn't know that could cause it. That's fascinating.
7: Yeah, mold. uh, You're right. And you may not see or smell the mold in the home. Sometimes it's water damage um, that just has been in your home and you kind of ignore it. And then your doctor finds your pulmonary fibrosis and asks you about the water damage. And lo and behold, that's the cause of the condition.
2: All right. What else should we know?
7: Uh, Well, it's important to know that uh, there are there's care available um, on the about pf.org website, uh, people can find care centers. The Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation, which is leading the effort towards a cure, has established 60 care centers around the country where there are expert doctors uh, ready to diagnose and treat this condition. People should also know that there are treatments. There are two medications that can help slow down the progression of this disease. uh, And for a small number of patients, Lung transplantation can be an option. We also have experimental therapies that we're hoping are very promising. We're going to find uh, find out over the next few years whether or not these work. And again, at the aboutpf.org website, there's a clinical trial finder where people can find research studies that might be right for them. That'll help us on our pathway towards a cure.
2: So if you do think you're experiencing symptoms, uh, your regular doctor, or would you recommend a specialist or finding someone on the aboutpf.org website?
7: I think, you know, go to the aboutpf.org website, uh, print you know, print out the risk factor checklist, fill it out, bring it to your primary care doctor, and open that conversation about pulmonary fibrosis If your doctor thinks you might have it, there are a few steps to take. You probably will get a CAT scan of the chest so the doctor can see the scarring and and diagnose this condition. And that's the point where you want to get to a care center. Um, And again, those care centers are listed on our aboutpf.org website.
2: Excellent, doctor. Wonderful information. I definitely got an education myself. Aboutpf.org, aboutpf.org. Thank you.
7: Yeah, thank you, Angie.